0: I think one question that uh, we have to ask is Is that do we really need the church? I mean, do we really, I mean, we can all have a relationship with God on our own. So what is the value of having a church? I just had a ministerial meeting this last week with several pastors from the local area here and we were talking about, you know, some of the challenges of dealing with COVID and the newer challenges that we've had to deal with here uh, recently and, uh, One of them made this statement, said, because I was asking about, they keep saying that things are not going to ever be the same again. And um, one of them said, yeah, you know, people are just used to staying home in their pajamas and drinking coffee and watching church. And, you know, and then they said, and that's okay. And I thought, well, is that okay? Is that really okay? I mean, I appreciate that people, you know, our congregation has been really awesome because, um, like I just got a text from someone said, I'm not feeling well today, so I'm staying home. We'll be watching online. That's awesome. I appreciate that people do that because they're protecting the overall congregation. Amen. You know, if everybody did that, everybody was that cautious with it, you know, when they're not feeling well, um, because you don't know what you're dealing with. You could just have the regular cold or flu or whatever, you know, allergies, who knows, you know, you just don't know, right? Or it could be COVID. But the thing is, is that when you don't feel well, they stay home. And so uh, they don't stay home every week. This is a person that comes here regularly, but they let me know that they're, they're not going to be here. But is that is that the norm? Is that the, you know, there are a lot of folks think that's the new normal, that that's what's going to be like that. Um, and even in the workplace, I just read a study that talked about in business that um, that they figure that one-third of uh, the workplace will be people that uh, are at the workplace, one-third will be people that are not at the workplace, are working from home, and then one-third will be a hybrid model. And I'm guessing the hybrid's probably where most of our world will end up, just like what we're in right now. We've, the church has been hybrid for a while that, you know, if you're on vacation, you could still be a part of your church. Right. Amen. And uh, But let me just tell you, I had to stay home a couple weeks ago because of COVID, about a month ago, actually. And I want to tell you, it sucked. I hated it. Because you know what I ended up doing? Just looking to see who was here. Right? I was, like, going to text Greg and say, Greg, pan the congregation. I want to see who didn't show up today. Right? But anyway. But, you know, I, I, and Chuck did a great job. His message was really good. But it's not the same as being in the house when you're with, you know, when someone's delivering the message. The music, it was great. I mean, it was our music, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't, I mean, I can, I sing at home. I mean, I'm not ashamed of my voice um, in front of my wife anyways. But, you know, I mean, but it's still not the same. The, the, The offering, giving online is great. I mean, it's a great thing that we can do, but it's not the same as, that I'm worshiping God in my giving, bringing my tithes and offerings forward. And so, you know, the struggle and the thought that if that's the new world that we're in, that it's okay that, look, you don't feel like going to church, don't go. Just stay home in your pajamas and drink coffee and or go do something else and don't worry about it. You know, a big church in Chicago, they... When they were getting ready to start, they went into the community. And I mean, this is like, a, you know, this is lots and lots. This is thousands and thousands of people that they they now have within their congregation. But they asked the people, why don't you go to church? Why don't you go to church? What's the reasons? And uh, basically, there were five reasons. One reason was, is it's boring. It's boring. It's just church is boring. And you know, I get that. I grew up in church, and I want to tell you, it was boring. I mean, it was boring to me. I sat there every weekend. I mean, that pastor's 20-minute sermon seemed like an eternity. All I could think about is when are we getting out of here to eat? So I never really connected with what was going on. I knew people that were there. I mean, as a, uh, I, I could tell you some of the bad things I did in church, but I'll leave that for another time. But uh, reason number two, people said, is the church is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It doesn't really speak to my life. Reason number three, and Stephen brought this up, they're always asking for money. Reason number four, people said, is I'm just too busy already. And reason number five is I feel awkward when I come to church. I feel awkward when I'm at church. So, you know, I started thinking about this, and I know this. this, at that time this accumulated a lot of people, and this actually became a model church, this one in Chicago, for a lot of churches. But I have to wonder if we would have went to God and said, why aren't people going to church? Why aren't people drawn to the church? Would God have given us the same answers? Would God have said, well, you talk too much? You know, I know churches today, and I mean, they're still following that model. They refuse to receive offerings in the church service. They put boxes by the door so you can just put your money in there as you go out, because they don't want you to feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Let me tell you that most of the things that you do in life that, ta- that are advantageous for you make you uncomfortable. Amen. Amen. You I work out a lot, but I want to tell you, I, it's a pain. One, I can't roll out of bed in my pajamas and work out. I got to go out to the barn. It's cold, or it's hot, or it's humid, or it's foggy, or it's smelly or it's dirty are y'all with me I got to go out and then I've got to do stuff that makes my body feel miserable I'm having pain I'm tired I'm weary I don't want to do this why did I get up so early to do this why do I have to do this all those things but the thing is is that because not because of the pain of doing it that we do it but the joy of doing it because of the benefits I feel like I better keep my heart straightened out my physical heart amen I better keep my body I mean I look if I ate everything I wanted to eat I could balloon up to 400 pounds easy easy if we would ask God why maybe God would have said well truthfully it is kind of boring so maybe God would have said that I don't know maybe God would have said that um, you know you're just too busy to go maybe God would have said it's irrelevant. And, and so they tweaked it. They changed all those things. You know, they thought things like, well, let's quit wearing, you know, let's not wear ties to church. Now we'll get people to come. That doesn't get people to come because you don't wear a tie right? or whether you wear a tie. In fact, in our culture today, people don't really care, um, you know, whether you do or you don't. So I started to, doing this study on this and just really digging into this. And I was really You know, why do we need the church? I mean, why the church? Who who really, do we really need it? Do we need, I mean, we have our Bibles. You got a Bible, I got a Bible. We can watch Christian television. We can listen to Christian radio. We can listen, you know, Family Life, man, they play some great praise and worship now. I mean, I can remember back, some of you will remember this. They were anti-praise and worship. I mean, it was like, we will never play that kind of music on, now that's all they play, hallelujah. Be careful what you say you'll never do. Right. Amen. You know, in Acts chapter one, verses 12 through 15, it said that when the apostles returned from Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a, a mile and a, a half a mile, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, the, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. During that time, there was about 120 believers who were together in one place. And one translation says, and in one accord. They were all together in one place and in one accord. And then Peter, of course, stood up and addressed them. Well, you know, by Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit falls in this place where they're gathered, which was about... Uh, it would have been 10 days after they started gathering together. The, the, the They had been with Jesus for 40 days. They're sent to go to Jerusalem. They're there for 10 days, gathered together in this upper room, praying and seeking the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit falls. And they're all with one accord and in one place, seeking God. They want the be- They want all that God has for them. They want to experience the promise from on high Acts chapter 2 verse 7 it says it talks about how that when they were filled with the holy spirit they all started speaking in tongues and things started happening and people were amazed and marvelled saying to one another look not all these not, are are not all these who speak galileans how is it we hear each in our own language in which we were born parthians and medes and almites Those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others were mocking them, saying they were full of new wine. So basically the response back was not from the community as they saw all this happening was, these guys are crazy, man. Look at these people are wild. We don't need this. These people, look what they're doing. It's not even the the time for drinking of wine. These guys are all drunk and they're out in the street. And so what could, why, you know, this is nuts, man. Why do we need this? There's a book that was written by Dean Merrill, Uh, He's the vice president of the International Bible Society, and in his book, he titled it Sinners in the Hand of an Angry Church, uh, and he said, on any given weekend, about 37% of Americans show up in church. The other 63% are reading the paper, drinking coffee, sleeping in, playing golf, or engaging in other some form of recreation. 37. Now, this has dropped incredibly because over the... And COVID hasn't made it any better, actually, because now it's dropped even more down below 37% that folks just aren't gathering together. And is there really any value in gathering together? Because the impression is is that you can get everything you want online, but can you really get everything you want online? Can, Can you get everything that you need spiritually from being in church once a month or once every two months or once every three months. And I'm not, look, I'm not preaching on attendance. You're here, so I'm, I'm, this, this is just things I think we need to be thinking about. Why is it that we need to come together? Another question that was asked out of this is that how many of that 37% are devoted to the cause of Christ that are gathering? George Gallup, in his book, The Saints Among Us, said this, only 13% are living deep spiritual lives, which means that they are actively trying to live the scripture in their life, that they're reading their Bibles, they're praying, and they're living the scripture. Now, you know, as we hear this, of course, always the idea is, is that, well, that's, that, I'm not, so I feel bad, this is condemning to me. Look, I think that this should be challenging to us in our thinking. Where are we at spiritually? Do you know in the United States right now that 100 churches are closing every week? Right now. We surpassed in 2020, we actually are closing more churches than are opening up. So they figure right now that about 3,000 uh, 3, churches, I think it was, uh, are opening and about 4,000 are closing every year, something, something close to that. Because of COVID, you're even seeing more churches close. Now we're fortunate we lost a few churches here in our communities, but some of them have reopened, which is a is a good thing. The, the biggest reason for church closings is a decline in church membership. That's the number one reason. A March poll from Gallup found that fewer than half, 47% of Americans, say they belong to a church, a synagogue or a mosque. So that means that spiritually in America right now, that only less than half of America's people go to belong to anything other than they might belong to clubs and things like that, but they don't belong to local churches. Well, does that even really matter? Does that even really matter in our world today? I think these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Um, You know, in our area here, we have 525,000 people that are affected by our church, that our church is among. That's from Saginaw all the way you know, out to uh, Edmore. 525,000 uh, people that we are reaching out to. Saginaw has about 108,000. Uh, Midland has about 44,000, 45,000. Some of these may be up a little bit uh, based off of the last census. But still... All that being said, only 47% of that 525,000 people are going to church, which means that there's only about 200 and some thousand people that are actually going to be a part of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. So what kind of spiritual effect is that having in our world today? And I don't even need to go into the depths of how many pastors are quitting. 1,500 pastors resign every month, every single month. They're just quitting and walking away. Uh, because of frustration, spiritual burnout, moral failure, uh, for some of them. So I mean, it's a big, it's a big, big issue that's going on. And I think it's some things that we need to really think about and we need to answer, we need to sort through what can we do about this? You know, in the book of Acts, it talked about how that, on the day of Pentecost, how Peter went out, you know, and, they pre- and Peter raised up his voice after everybody was like, these guys are drunk with wine. And he raised up his voice and told them that they needed to call on the name of the Lord. And 3,000 people got saved, I mean, right there. But do you know that if you combine now in the, that's a lot, we would think that's a lot of people, right? That three thousand man, that's a lot of folks. But do you know if you combined in what's happening in China and what's happening in uh, the Saharan Africa and what's happening in Latin America right now, that there are there are three thousand converts per hour happening in those countries right now. Three thousand converts happening. The church in the United States, if it doesn't watch out, is heading the same direction the church in England has gone. And the church in England is in a huge decline all the way across the board. In fact, if you go to England, one of the, one of the things that you can buy is artifacts from churches. They look great in your garden, right? So you can buy baptismal fonts. You can buy, you can buy pews. I mean, we see pews all the time. Even in on you go on Facebook and type in the marketplace pews, you'll find tons of pews because people just they're getting rid of them. Now I'm not saying pews make us more spiritual, but these artifacts are all becoming available. It breaks my heart when I see a church that's become somebody's home. It closed down or it's empty and now it's decrepit. People say, well, we, we, we got enough churches. No, we don't. We actually have less churches in America than we had in the 1800s right now. And they weren't all, you know, 500 people or 600. There were some, but, you know, the typical church was 100 and some people out of the community and they were everywhere. You had all kinds of groups that were meeting and they were having great spiritual impact. Well, do we even need that right now? I mean, do we really need to have uh, uh, the church and what would be the purpose of it? Well, I've got four things for you. that They all start with P, and I want you to write these down if you, write, if you like to write down. Number one the reason we need the church is because we need God's people. We need, you need God's people. Listen to Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. God takes individuals and he puts them in families with people. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound in pro- into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. In 1 John chapter 1, it talks about how uh, they were talking about the church. John was talking about the gathering of the church, and he said this, "...that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you, that your joy may be full." We need people because we need fellowship. Do you know that, um, just talking about the online experience, okay? So in communication, I'm a communication expert. In communication, when you're communicating with someone, only 45% of what you're communicating is verbal. 55% of it is nonverbal. It's how you stand, it's how you move, it's how your hands move, it's what your eyes are doing. It's are you looking at the person? Uh, have you done any online stuff? I mean, people are doing all kinds of other stuff while they're online. They're the, you know, I mean, I I do it too. You get bored because you're just sitting there watching this thing, you're not thinking about. Am I in communication, dialogue with this individual? When you come to church, when you're in the church with other people, you're communicating. Whether you're, you know, look, if we can only do elbow bumps, great. Fist bumps, fine. Hugs, great. Okay. I mean, we tried to tell people to social distance, but you all wouldn't listen. You just started hugging each other and doing all this stuff. So I was like, I'm not going to keep. Look, I'm not going to keep pre- trying to kick a dead horse here. They don't want to do it. This, that's their, They know the risks. But, you know, you need that kind of physical contact with other and not just with people, with spiritual people, with people, not just with your pastor, but with other Christians, because it makes all the difference in the world. Because what he's telling us here is that when we fellowship with one another, there's communication that's going on. You know, Chuck just communicated his story to you. He just, what happened to him. That communicates something to you and I. It, it does something to encourage us when there are certain people that, look, they encourage me when I see them. They're, they're friends that I've known for ages and, and I'm encouraged by their presence with me that they're there. I mean, it's great when they're watching online, but I can't see them. When they worship. I look in the congregation sometimes and some of our young people and my granddaughters, I I get so encouraged because of the way she worships. It's hard for me not to stop what I'm doing worshiping and watch her worship because she's just so free in her worship before the Lord, hands lifted, tears in the eyes. I mean, I see that with our young people. I I see that with um, a couple other of our young ladies, and I've texted their parents during the service, said, man, your kid is just on fire worshiping today. Look, for all the things I've been through with my kids, that encourages me when I see that kind of worship in the house of the Lord, because we need people. There is a fellowship, and what happens is in that communion that we have, with each other that in that fellowship we're communicating spiritual truths to one another. Whether we're saying them or not, we are communicating spiritual truths to one another. If you're the worship leader and, and, and you're looking at me and I'm just like this, am I communicating anything to you? No? If I have my hands lifted up and I'm singing to the Lord, am I communicating anything to you? Well, think about this. It's not just a worship leader that sees that happening. We see each other in here. We see the the dynamic of of how that we worship, how how we're expressing ourselves before the Lord. And it can encourage us in the things of God. Listen to this out of 1 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. It says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it because there is a sharing that takes place among God's people. So when someone's hurting, we're hurting with them. We care about them. I know there are folks here today that are hurting. Look, you've gone to them. You've hugged them. We're praying. Look, do you think that helps them at all in their faith? I mean, my goodness, you can't do that online. Texts are great, but personal touch is powerful. It's great to get a text from your pastor that, hey, I care about you, I'm praying for you, and I'm, I'm not going to stop doing any of that. But the reality is, is that it is the contact that we have with each other, because we need God's people. Look at the person next to you and say, I need you. Now, you're, if you're sitting with your spouse or a family member, that's easy to say, but do you need the person across the aisle from you? The person that's, that's across the room. Leadership Magazine said this: Ninety percent of new church members will stay in a church if the number one—if number one—they can learn to articulate their faith, communicate their faith. Number two, they belong to groups within the church through serving, and then uh, then the, the last number three—if they make four to eight close friends within the church—that somebody cares about them. Somebody cares about what's going on. So number one, we need God's people. Say that with me. I need God's people. I need need God's people. Man, when I was watching online, my heart was breaking because I wanted to be with God's people. Not because I need some kind of a religious experience in my life to be at church, but because I need God's people. I need to be around God's people because I'm surrounded in the world by people that are not God's people. And I'm surrounded by people that don't have this next point, and that is, number two, we need God's perspective. And you're not going to get God's perspective on Fox News. I'm telling you that right now. You're not going to get it on CNN. You're not going to get it on ABC. You're not going to get it in the newspaper. You're not going to get it anywhere except in the house of God. We need God's perspective. We need people that are verbalizing, not just our daily Bible reading, or books that we're reading, but we need to hear communication of our faith. The Bible teaches in the book of Philemon, he said that the communication of your faith becomes effective by the acknowledging of every good thing that is within you. That you and I, because of the communication of our faith, it acknowledges something in us, but it also does something in the other person as well. When I'm communicating my faith, whether it's through worship, whether it's through sharing scripture or praying with one another, or just through my very animation before God, how I conduct myself before God, it creates, it creates communication between myself and them. First Timothy 3.15, uh, the last part of this verse is what I really wanted to focus on, that Paul, that Paul says, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Look, the church declares the truth, the perspective of God. We need to have that perspective, that spiritual. I'm all for entertainment. I have no problem with watching shows and favorite shows, and even I watch the news. I mean, I don't want you to think I don't watch the news. But I make sure that my perspective is always powered by what God is saying. Yeah, go. By what God is saying. I always look to the prophets. What are the prophets saying? What are the prophets saying right now? What are the, my pastor, he's a prophet. I listen to what he says. when he, um, you know, he preaches a lot of great messages, but there are certain things that he says he prophetically that I make sure that I take note of. There are others. Jerry Savelle's another one that I look to who is a prophet, who, who has makes great, great declaration. I could tell you a whole bunch of them that I look to, but you know, to just to listen and get perspective because we need God's perspective, God's perspective. And uh, so one, we need God's people. Number two, we need God's perspective. Say this out loud. I need God's perspective. Number three, we need God's purpose. We need God's purpose. Huh. You know, what does God care about? Well, God cares about us, but God cares about souls. I mean, look, if, 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 if it was, you know, the simplest way to have done all this is that you get saved and die. Right? If that was what it was all about, was you to have a great life, get saved and die. You. You go to heaven, no more, are you all looking at me funny, okay? (laughs) No more suffering, right? No more dealing with the world, no more dealing with the satanic stuff that we have to stand against, no more having to deal with choices anymore, you're free from this life, hallelujah. But see, yet God leaves us, not, he doesn't just leave us here like, well, I need to test your faith, he leaves us here because there's work to be done, there's work to be done. That there are people that have not heard the gospel yet. Your neighbor. You know, if, if, if that is true, I'm assuming that it is because the, a lot of experts worked on that. If only 47% of people are a part of a local fellowship, then that means only your one neighbor on the one side is and your neighbor on the other side is not. And the world's scared. And we need to have God's purpose that he cares. You know, the 525,000 people, I mean, when you walk out here, you'll see the signs on the, on the, on the wall as you leave. It'll show those counties and it'll show those, uh, you know, that our thought. That every person is somebody God cares about. Look, God cares about every single person, every race. He cares about them. And that the only way to reach them is through you and I. Because if that, you know, if God cares so deeply about us and he wanted us to be with him, and the Bible says that he earnestly desires the spirit that is within us to be with him, then he would have just taken us home. We would have just went, we get saved, and that's it. Of course, I don't know what those altar calls would look like. It'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? For some. But here's the thing, the reason that God, we're here, is because we have a purpose and that purpose isn't just to make a bunch of money that purpose is not just so that we can have all the toys I mean to have all the toys that we want because how do we value a person spending an eternity in heaven and and being escaping an eternity in hell compared with having a boat or an RV or and I'm not against any of those things, but how do, we, how do we say that any of those things can have the same value? Well, there's just no way that they can. Hell is forever, friend, ever. There's no inner, you know, look, I mean, I have family members, I'm declaring salvation. I pray for them like they're going to Hell. Because that's where they're headed right now. I have friends that I pray for like they're heading to hell. But look, that's because that's where they're heading right now. But I also know this, that the power of prayer can change the course of someone's life. And that by me living a Christian testimony in my life and being a witness for Christ in everything that I do and living God's purpose can change people's lives. Absolutely can change people's lives. Philippians chapter one verses three through five. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. You know, some of you probably have seen the clip or at least seen the movie from Schindler's list. You know, Schindler, you know, saved all these Jews out of Nazi camps and helped all these people escape. I mean, he gave up so he gave up, I mean, but he was a I mean, he was, a, he was a womanizer. I mean, he was a bad dude, okay? But he really got compassion for helping these Jews escape. But in the end of the movie, it's the most heartbreaking scene because Schindler is faced with the fact that he starts all these Jews and how grateful they are that he's helped them, and he begins to figure out what's going on, and it hits him. It hits him so hard, and he starts saying, I could have saved a person with this ring, and he pulls this ring off his finger. He said, "My car. If I had sold my car, I could have saved. You know, I could have saved twenty Jews from going into the furnaces." And, it, and the reality, and see, that's hard for us as God's people to realize that that is the reality. That that is what we are doing. We are. We're not just here to, so we can have a nice house. Though I believe in having a nice house and having nice ve- vehicles that run are great vehicles. Hallelujah vehicles that have good tires great vehicles right but here's the thing all those things are just things they're not our purpose they're not where we get our value from my value comes from my real purpose and that is that i have i am a i am a redeemed person declaring to people there is redemption, hallelujah, that there is opportunity. That's our real purpose as God's people, and I think when we lose that, that's when we start really going, well, why are we even here? Why do we need to go to church? Why do I need the church? It's not about me. It's about we. It's about what we do together to affect our communities. You know, we're doing this Halloween outreach. I don't like Halloween. It's demonic. But here's the thing I also know, that when we go into the community, something they're already doing, and we put spiritual emphasis into it, there could be one kid that could get a track out of one thing that we do. One kid, I mean, look, I want all of them to get, but if one kid gets saved, is it worth to do it, to buy bags of candy and to go into a community and do something we don't necessarily want to do, but we do it because there's one kid. What if that kid is the next Richard Jolliffe, or what if he's the next Chuck Seeley, or what if that kid is the next Billy Graham, or what if that kid is the, is the next missionary who goes overseas, the John G. Lake who goes and changes the nation? of What if? One. Why do we even need the church? Because we need God's people, because we need God's perspective, and because we need God's Purpose. We always have to come back to our real purpose is is that God would, that none would perish, but that all might be saved. Hallelujah, that's his plan. The purpose of God's church on earth is to change one life at a time through the preaching of the gospel. Number four, and we'll be done. We need God's presence. We desperately need God's presence in our world. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We need God's presence, his glory and his anointing, because in that presence is all of who God is. We need that. I know we have God's, I've got God's presence. You'll hear me talk about this. I have God's presence. But there is something that that is powerful when we come together when we corporately come together as God's people to worship, to hear his word, there's something that we experience that it's like, we, it's like we're all giving up our own way to do his way. And in that environment of, of that we're all giving up our own thing so we can do his thing, God moves in the midst of that. When we say, look, I didn't come here for me. I didn't come here just so I could have something. I came here because, God, I want you. I'm singing because of you, not because necessarily I like the songs or because this is on my top ten playlist. I'm, I'm here, Lord God, because I'm here because of you, because my attention and my focus is upon you. The Bible teaches in Isaiah, he gives perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on him. Your battle in life is to keep your mind off of everything else and to get your mind on him. In his presence, when we come together, it sets our mind upon him. And we were created by him with the need to worship him. God doesn't need our worship, but he created us with the need to worship him. Listen to this out of Revelation chapter four. It says this, you are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they, were, they exist and were created. God is worthy because he is, what he has done is that he created all things, and they are, we are only here because of him. And in that creation that he made us, he made us so that we would express our gratitude. I sat down, I've been sitting down, I don't, I don't know why this is happening in my life, but I've just been in the last couple of months been sitting down and just tracking God's blessings this year, this year. Maybe because it's just been so weird, but what God has done the healings that I've experienced, the healings I've seen others experience, what God has done in his church, what he's done in this church, the souls. I think we've had, I think I figured up the other day, 29 people have come to Christ in our services this year. Amen. Amen. Look, if we, look, if we didn't do anything else, that was the most important thing that we did right there, that people heard the gospel and had an opportunity to receive the gospel. Glory. We're created to worship him. A.W. Tozer said this, and I love Tozer if you've ever read any of his stuff, but he's, he's real direct. He says, it is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction is God. One can only conclude that God professed children are bored with him, for they must be wooed to a meeting with a stick of striped candy in the form of religious movies, games, and refreshments. It's not right, even in our youth group, that when we have pizza night, we have our biggest crowd. (laughs) And it's not right in our church that when we have a dinner where everybody gets to eat and party down, that those become the biggest services that we have. I love partying down. But if it wasn't about the party and all it was was about God, would that, be, would that be enough? You know, when they started talking about the toy shortage this year, you know, people were like, How are we going to have Christmas? Who the heck told you Christmas was about toys? Christmas is about Christ, period. Toys are just a benefit. So, this is why our Bible says to you and I, Hebrews 10.25, and I love this in the, the contemporary English version. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. And I believe that. I believe it. His day is, let me put it like this. His day is coming closer either for the rapture or my death. Every day I live is just another day closer to me being out of here. Do you understand that? I'm not worried about it. I'm just telling you that it is. Every day it has value. That's why the Bible says, Lord, teach us to number our days. We don't think about that when we're young necessarily, but look, we only got so many days. I mean, you know, the Bible says 70 to 80 by strength, and of course, we stand for and believe for 120, and I'm still believing for that, but, but here's, here's, here's what we have to face. Every day that clicks off is another day closer to his return in my life for me to be in heaven. Or maybe the rapture will happen before that. Either way, I really am more focused not on his coming back, but on making sure that we're doing his purpose. Experiencing his presence. Hallelujah. Being with God's people. And having God's perspective. Stand up with me, if you would. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Father, I thank you.